This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name's Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. When you think about what the one thing is, on the cover, it says it's the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. If you were to ask Gary Keller what really inspired him to write the book and and what it's about, he would tell you it's about living a life of no regret. How do you look at your time here on this earth, however long that may be? And how do you make the most of it? How do you live a life that is extraordinary? And what it really comes down to when you imagine your time comes down to making moments that matter. The person you are going to meet today, it's this idea of making moments that matter that inspired him to weave purpose into his life, into what he does every single day and into making an impact. That's why today you're going to meet a man who has dedicated the rest of his life to helping others create moments that matter. With that, let's get into this conversation with the founder of the Front Row Foundation, author of The Front Row Factor, John Vroman. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. I remember walking into the office one day and Jay looked at me and said, I just had coffee with a great guy. You're going to love him. You got to meet John Vroman. I went, okay, cool. And uh, I, I remember us trying to connect. And then um, it was at a Ryan Moran's Capitalism Conference where you and I actually connected in person. So it was great to get to know you. And uh, I loved your story and just what you have to share about getting clear on your priorities and making the most of your moments. Because I think a lot of us entrepreneurs and business owners, it's very easy to get sucked into the professional world and struggle with that work-life balance. And you fast forward many, many years and you realize you're actually not living a life worth living. So let's not, let's not make that mistake. So talk, talk to us about how you came up with the idea for the Front Row Foundation. Yeah. So this was uh, 2005. And I say there were three things that happened in my life all at the same time. Uh, the first was that, you know, I had been involved in the Tony Robbins community for a, a period of time and was one of his senior leaders and was constantly surrounded by people who were asking the question, how do I want to make a difference? How do I want to contribute? And this it hadn't been a question that I had answered confidently in my life. I knew that I wasn't giving at the level that I wanted to. So that seed had been planted. 
the second thing that was happening around this time was that um, I had really been stepping up in life in some big ways and taking on big challenges and um, you know uh, living life more fully than I had before. I remember going to a Jason Mraz concert with my girlfriend. And I remember looking at the front row and recognizing that there was a different energy there than in the back where we were. And I remember thinking this is a metaphor for how I'd played so many years of my life, kind of in the back, checked out convenience, right? It's a, it's a cheaper ticket. It's easier to find. It's easier to get out, easier to get to the bathrooms and living a life, kind of watching other people do the fun stuff. And I remember looking at that front row and seeing people that looked like they wanted to be nowhere other than there. And then I remember looking in the back row and seeing people that could have been anywhere, but they definitely weren't there making the most of their time. So this idea of the front row kind of been in my mind, And then the third thing that happened was um, because I was in this season of yes, I accepted a challenge to run a 52-mile ultra marathon as a non-runner, meaning I'd never run more than three miles in my whole life ever. And I thought my first attempt at running distance, I'm going to do a 52-mile event. And that seemed a little crazy for me, which was good because that was pushing me and challenging me. But I needed something else to get that done. You know, the personal challenge was great, but I felt like I needed a deeper purpose. So I said to my buddy, why don't we raise money for a charity? And then that conversation turned to, what if we started a charity? And that conversation turned to, well, if you start a charity, what fuels that emotionally? And I thought, maybe it's your fears and your loves. So I said, what am I afraid of? What am I moving away from in my life? What do I not want? And the the answer was to waste my moments. That was the answer. To look back on my life and say, man, I wish I would have done this with my moments. And my greatest love was when I made the most of my moments, when I, when I actually did something that was worthy of telling the story later and celebrating with my friends. And when I figured that out, and with this idea of the front row and this contribution idea looming in my mind, I just blurted out, front row foundation. We're going to take kids and adults who have a life-threatening illness, put them in the front row of their favorite event, and then use that event and that relationship as a way to teach them how to live every day in the front row. So it's like, imagine Make-A-Wish meets Tony Robbins. And that was a very new and first of its kind type of charity. And that was 12 years ago. Hmm. What has surprised you most going down this journey over the last 12 years? That I've been the biggest beneficiary of the charity. (laughs) Meaning that I didn't start it because I wanted to get something from it. But when I look back... I think about how much these recipients and their families and our community and our donors have changed my life. I'm shocked by what I learned. I thought this was going to be the place where I would go give all my, you know, brilliance and greatness and, you know, that I would somehow be giving it away. I didn't recognize how much I would get from this. And that I think that's the beautiful part of life is that oftentimes when we pour in, we can't help but to experience something new as a result of that. So when we wrote the book, The Front Row Factor, two years ago uh, and released earlier um, in 2017, we've realized that looking back, you could learn so much about living life from people who are fighting for it. And through interviews and stories, we we started to piece together, well, what did it mean to make the most of our moments? And who better to ask than somebody who uh, had their life being threatened and those moments that we cherish being threatened? 
And so that's what we did. We, 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 we started looking and that's why I feel like the biggest surprise is how much I grew as a result of all this. I'm curious because I know what it feels like to be, I'm going to say, wandering through your day without a purpose. You wake up, you go to a job because that's your job, and you keep going to that job because it's been your job, and you keep doing the same things because it's the way you've always done it without ever looking up, asking why, finding a bigger purpose, and, and being willing to actually hold a mirror up and, and have a real conversation with yourself to interrogate your reality. Yeah. What would you suggest to those people who are not waking up every single day and experiencing moments that matter? First of all, recognize that your life is very impermanent. This ride will end. Every day is a gift. It, you did not earn it. You did not deserve it. Yes, you might have worn your seatbelt. Yeah, you pro- if you would have eaten healthy and gone to the gym, you might prolong your life uh, You know, when somebody is gifting you another day, but that we are not in control. And, and I think that when we recognize that our moments are finite, and just like why there's a craze for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is this fear of missing out when we recognize there's a finite amount of it. And that's the whole concept behind it. It's why diamonds or gold or whatever is there's a limited amount. So I think first is to recognize that and not let the fact that everything and everyone dies, everything you build, every business, every everything eventually comes to an end. And that ultimately is a shift, a transformation of some type. It might evolve into something different, but there is a death in there. So regardless of what your life philosophies are, what happens after this life, this ride will end. And I remember pulling out a, a piece of paper one time on an airplane when I was sort of getting to this place in life when I was recognizing my mortality. Because when I was younger in my 20s and even into my 30s, I think I didn't get it fully. I just always felt like tomorrow will definitely come. Uh, bad things happen to other people, not me. You know, and and I just didn't have perspective on on my life. And then I finally was on an airplane and realized if this engine goes out, and so does that one, there's not a single thing I'm going to do that's going to save the situation. And I just recognized how much of my existence was out of my control. And so I pulled out a piece of paper and I wrote on the left-hand side, a little dot said birth. And on the right-hand side, a little dot that said death. And then I put where I was on that timeline, assuming I would, let's say hundred years that I would live. And let's say 80 of those years were magnificent, you know, could do anything I want years. I put a little dot and I was in my late thirties at the time. And I looked at that halfway mark. And that to me was a wake up call. That to me was a recognition of how quickly my minutes and my moments were going by. I'd read about a guy who counted out how many Saturdays he would approximately have if he lived to be 100. And he, and he counted out those Saturdays in, in, in marbles and he put them in a bowl. And then he literally every Saturday would move one marble to the other bowl. And he could visually see how his life was, was, was passing. Uh, if he was blessed enough to make it to that point, you know, healthy, good, healthy years. So I think that's part of it, right? Recognizing that death piece. And, and I also think the way that we make the most of our minutes and our moments is by taking full responsibility, by owning our situations. And that's one of the things I've seen people do time and time again in the charity. And, and you know, I think it's better to learn through stories. So let me tell you how I think we make the most of our minutes and our moments and how we get ourselves even out of a funk at times is and you talk about this, and I know that this is something you believe in, is the power of the mind, the mindset. Mm-hmm. So this woman, Nikki, uh, was is a, is a recipient of our charity. And at the time she was going on her event, uh, fighting breast cancer, I was uh, privileged to be her host for the night. So it was her and her husband, John, me, and a film crew that was there. 
And we were in the limousine and she was like, before we go into the restaurant, I don't remember how we got onto this topic, but she said, sometimes people will look at me and they'll look at me with a look of disgust because, you know, she's lost her hair and, you know, it was coming in a different color and maybe she wasn't looking at her best. And immediately when she said that, my heart broke and I, I felt angry and I was looking sad and feeling sad for her. But then she said to me, and that makes me happy. And I thought, you've got to tell me what that means. Why does that make you happy? She says, because if somebody looks at me with disgust, that means they've never battled cancer. And certainly nobody they love has ever battled cancer. Because if they had any context to my situation, they wouldn't be looking at me that way. So I'm glad they've never experienced pain like I've been through. I'm happy for them. And what I think is the way to make the most of our minutes is to have a good perspective on them, to have a good perspective on our lives. Way easier said than done. I get challenged by this every single day. I want to be totally clear. I'm totally vulnerable with the audience that even though I wrote a book about all this stuff, I struggle with it regularly and need to check in uh, on how I'm viewing my minutes and my moments. Where are you still failing? I think I'm failing in being ungrateful for what I have. And being ungrateful for the opportunities and the privileges and the people in my life. Um, When you, as an entrepreneur, I think that we get into the business of optimizing, always wanting to make things better, always asking like, how do I make this better? How do I grow this? How do I improve this? How do I optimize this? And my friend Josh Shipp, who I was talking to a while ago, said he was on vacation and it was like by the third day that his wife looked at him as like, you don't have to optimize our family and our vacation. (laughs) Like, Like, this is just a hangout and be type of situation. And for me, I attach a lot of my identity to my ability to create, influence, build, grow. And I have to remind myself that all that is, you know, impermanent. Uh, I was talking with somebody, a friend earlier today about, you know, the, and I'm, bear with me here. Tell me if I, correct me if I'm wrong, but these monks that build these, is it called a mandala? You're, you're talking to the wrong guy. Okay. All right. So <laughs> what they do is they, they build this, right? They build these, these beautiful pieces of art with sand and all these different colors of sand and they're gorgeous and they might be four and five feet in diameter. And there's four or five monks working on them for days on end, rotating in throughout the day and the night. And then what they do at the end, they sweep it up. They literally have a ceremony and sweep it up. There is no like, let's freeze this and hang it on the wall for us to brag about all that we've done. It's to remind themselves that everything goes away, you know, Mm. that this too shall pass type of concept. And I think that's really important for people being able to make the most of their moments, you know, and we can get into this. I think what's really critical about this whole concept too, and we can talk about it if you want, is this, this hope piece, this celebration piece and this living in the moment, because that's really the balancing of how to make the most of all of our moments and not get trapped in negativity or, you know, pessimism. Well, I want to talk about the moments because when I think about who listens to this, who are the people who are out there living their one thing? There are people who initially, when they got the book or started listening to the podcast, they didn't really have clarity on what their priorities were. And if they've actually started to live their one thing, they now have some level of clarity and then they start to realize how hard it is to truly act in order of priority. And that's just in the professional setting. You start talking about how do you leave work at work and go and be present at home. That's a whole nother can of worms. So John, based on what you have witnessed from the people that you supported through Front Row Foundation, how does someone be more present? Well, I think it's recognizing that being present is actually 
next to, it feels like next to impossible because imagine like a pendulum that we're constant, our tensions constantly swinging into the future and into the past. We're almost recognizing and anticipating what's about to happen, what we want to do next or say next, and then what just happened and analyzing that or celebrating that or, or regretting that, whatever it might be. So we're, we're in this phase where Presence to me is actually learning how to be present when we're thinking about the future, whether we're thinking about the past or we're actually experiencing the exact moment that we're in. All of that is being present because you're present to an emotion, a thought, a feeling, regardless of whether that's happening in the future or the past. So I'll give you, I'll give you a couple of examples of where we learned this and where it started to show up for us. So initially when we started, we thought this was all about the day. We're going to create this day and it's all about that person having this experience for the day. And that worked. It was true uh, that we did experience an amazing like, hey, I could forget about cancer for a day or whatever it was they were battling. But I never forget this guy named Thomas Kay, who was a young man, was a, a star athlete, rugby player, picture of health. And as fast as you could blink your eyes or snap your fingers, he was in a wheelchair fighting for his life, losing his eyesight, uh, barely able to, and at one point, unable to get out of the wheelchair. And our team heard about Thomas, fell in love with Thomas and his family and his dream to go see the Rugby World Cup in New Zealand. So we raised money and we got to work and we got the tickets and we unveiled the tickets to Thomas and he was fired up and he's going to go with his family. But what happened next was really cool. Thomas was in physical therapy every single day. And I remember hearing from his mom, she said, I've never seen Thomas more committed to his physical therapy because of this event. And he said that he was committed to, to working so hard that he could stand for the national anthem at the game. And I recognized that the power of hope is bringing the power of future moments into this one. So the power, why hope is so powerful is it brings the power of future moments into this one. See, that's the difference of wishful thinking and being hopeful is that wishful thinking says, man, I wish things were different, but hope says I can make the difference. Mm. To me, I think that's super critical because we sometimes think that being in the moment is all about this Zen-like state of just, I have no other thoughts other than what's happening right in front of me. And you could argue that that is somebody's definition of being present. But I think being present is recognizing that when we do dream, when we do prioritize, when we choose our one thing, we bring the power of possibility into the present moment. And that changes what we do next, which is living in the moment. That's really powerful. And I, I've, I've, I'm thinking back to the moments in my life when I was looking forward and that hope really just brought more purpose to the present. Has it ever gone the other way where you're looking back over your life and celebrating what you have done and that drives or brings purpose into the moments today? Yeah. You know what, Jeff, that reminds me of this story of a young man named Mike who taught us all about the power of celebration. 
He was this 16-year-old who, because of his health challenges, was developmentally only about eight or nine years old. He was a big Pirates fan. Anything Pirates, this guy loved. Well, our team fell in love with Mike, wanted to do an event for him. So we took him to go see this Pirates Voyage live performance. Uh, I think maybe one of the only in the country, but it's this amazing show in Myrtle Beach. So we flew his family. They were from Chicago. We flew his family, and his mom and dad said... John, this was the first time we've ever been in an airplane, the first time that we've ever been in a hotel, the first time we've ever been in a limousine, the first time we've ever seen the ocean, all these things that were firsts. And I thought we just knocked this out of the park. I was so happy with the event. Mike was so fired up. And at this point, Jeff, he was so sick. We actually didn't even know if he'd make it to the event. And when he got home, he almost went immediately to the hospital. Um, and, 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 you know, the doctors were saying that these were his final days in the hospital. And this was a week or two after his event. That lets you know how, how sick he was when we went. But I'll never forget Carrie Smolensky, one of my favorite people, board member, donor, volunteer of the charity for, for over a decade. He went to go see Mike in the hospital, not because that's what that, that's not protocol or he wasn't required to do it. He was a volunteer. He just knew it was the right thing to do. That's Carrie. And he walked into the hospital room. And what he told me that he saw was that Mike had sitting there and had every tube hooked up to him imaginable out of his neck, out of his arms, literally bound to the bed by these tubes and life support that was just keeping him going. And he was flipping through his photo album that we, we gave to him after his event, which every recipient gets, looking at the pictures and reminiscing. And that's when I realized that celebration was the power of looking in the past and bringing those moments into the now. So on the opposite side of this hope is this ability to look back. And sometimes as entrepreneurs, we don't like looking back. We're like, don't get that rear view mirror syndrome. We're always looking back and always like, what's your next accomplishment? Don't, don't celebrate that trophy too much. But what we recognize is that that's good advice in certain context. But in other areas of life, we need to be able to look back on highlights. We have to be able to, even as entrepreneurs, look back and say, what worked this year? What was the 80-20 analysis on my business? And that's essentially looking at what can we celebrate? What were the bright spots? And that's what we took away from, from these recipients. So to me, being in the moment is balancing hope, celebration, and then accepting all of that in the moment that, hey, this is I'm just going to do the best I can with what I have in any given situation. That's being present. You know, what's really sitting with me right now, John, is you mentioned earlier that what surprised you most was how much value you would get from coming from contribution. I'm curious for the people who are listening to this who are going, yeah, that's awesome. And in the back of their mind, subconsciously, they're telling themselves the story, I don't have a charity. I can't do those things. How can they not only make moments that matter for themselves, how can they create moments that matter for others? Well, I think this is that is the perfect question because the front row philosophy is about showing up for other people. You know, our good buddy Hal, he wrote, he did the Miracle Morning, and that's I always say to, to Hal, that's about showing up for you. And the front row philosophy is all about showing up for other people. It's about being a moment maker, and we can all do this in every single day. It doesn't have to be these magnificent events that we're raising thousands of dollars for. You know, when you think about even the front row itself, how. The best fans get the best show. When we give energy, we make somebody else the rock star. 
that allows the entire experience to shine. We put a lot of attention and energy on like get in the game, be, be on the field. And that's wonderful. I like to play the game too, right? A hundred percent. But I also like putting other people on stage and making other people the center of attention and the rock star. And one of the ways that you can build your family, you can build your business is by putting other people first, getting into the front row and being a raving fan of somebody. It reminds me of a story with my little boy, Tiger, who's now eight. But at the time of the story, he was four. And we were living up in New Jersey and we were walking through this park and they had set up this pop-up wall, this rock climbing wall, that was temporary wall. And he looked at me and he's like, dad, I want to climb that wall. And I thought to myself, there's no way he can do this wall. This is a big kid activity. So I tried to encourage him to just go ride the roller coaster, but he was persistent. And I said, eventually, all right, let's give it a shot. But in my heart and in my head, I was like, there's no way he got harnessed up. And he absolutely shocked me when he climbed three quarters of the way up this wall in a flash, right? Just, I was blown away. And then he got to the part of the wall where the wall actually inverts out a little bit. And he looked down at me and he said, hey, Papa, he goes, I can't. And in that moment, I just looked back up at him and I thought, what do I say? Like, what's the right thing to say as a dad? Mm. I was like, oh, I got it. I said, it's okay, buddy. You tried. Right? And I thought, that's really good. That's really good. I'm a great dad. <laughs> right? And then this guy who was working the rock wall turns to me and says, hey, he goes, I think your boy could do it. And he turned back up to my son, looked at him and said, hey, little man, try again. And I was like, that's really good. <laughs> like, brilliant. So he, so my little boy, four years old, with a vote of confidence from the guy who worked the rock wall, grabbed a hold and he fought his way to the top. And he smashed this button and the lights went off and he came down and everybody was celebrating and we were high-fiving him. And I was going to say, I knew you could do it, but I didn't because I, <laughs> I was doubting it. So I just said, great job. So proud of you. And, and then this guy next to me, he was high-fiving Tiger. And he's like, man, he goes, your son, he's, he's quite the climber. And then uh, we got to talking and he, he asked me, he's like, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I'm a, I'm a motivational speaker. <laughs> and I, I kind of laughed at myself thinking how ridiculous it was that I wasn't a very good leader or motivator in that moment. And here's why, Jeff, because we all do this. We treat other people like we remember them yesterday and not as who they could become today. Mm, say that again. We treat people like we remember them yesterday, but not as who they've become today. And what I think is so powerful is that that guy working the rock wall was a moment maker for my son because he lifted him up because he was a powerful fan in the front row of his life. And we all have that opportunity every single day with a complete stranger. Now, here's a, a really fun part of the story. My son right now climbs on the team, the elite climbing team in Austin, Texas. Hmm. And I don't know how much that guy's comment and that moment 
of celebration and praise and, and accomplishment and pride and all of that that came in that moment for my son. I don't know how much of that was created because that man said, try again, but I've got to believe in my heart that it played a role. And I think it might have played a significant role. And I've choose to believe that because I believe that we all have that chance today, whether it's somebody that you're ordering a coffee from, it's somebody in your office. So here's the thing. Here's what we can all learn from this. Our charity asks people what their dreams are, and then we fight to make them happen. And if you want to have your best year ever, if you want to have your best business ever, then help other people live out their dreams. Know what their dreams are and go support them. Like one of the exercises in the book is to write out your top eight relationships and then to ask yourself, what are their number one dream or goal this year? And if you're telling me that the eight most important people in your life, you don't know what their dreams or goals are, you're missing something. So living a front row life is about getting into people's front row and lifting them up and helping them live out their biggest dreams and goals. And when you do, you'll be radically uh, impressed by how much you experience uh, from this, the joy I always say like when people give a standing ovation, everybody gets energy, including the people giving the ovation. Well, there you have it. My conversation with John Vroman. That story at the end really touched me. I remember hearing Jay say to me that when you think, when you look at Gary Keller, he often believes that your ceiling of achievement is so much higher than you even can perceive to be possible. He just, he he knows what is possible because he has created so much opportunity in his lifetime. He knows what's possible for you. Yet many of us tell ourselves the story that we can't do it because like John said, uh, we imagine the person that we were yesterday versus the person that we are today or who we will be tomorrow. I recently had an experience with my daughter, Daphne. She's four and a half. We went ice skating a few weeks ago for the first time and we got out on the ice and she immediately looked at me and said, Daddy, I can't do it. I looked at her and this was interesting because I've, now that I've had coaches in my life, I looked at her and I asked her a question and said, how do you know? And she said, I can't do it. And I said, well, Daphne, is it that you can't do it or you just don't know how to do it yet? She said, I don't know how to do it yet. And I said, would you like to learn how? And she said, yes. And I said, awesome. I'm going to help you. We're going to have lots of fun. And what will you do if you fall down? And what almost brought me to tears is when she looked at me and said, I'll get back up and keep going. I didn't prep her. It's amazing how if you're willing to open yourself up to what others can do, if you're willing to open yourself up to their possibilities and lead them there, how they can rise themselves up. And what could be more meaningful in your life than helping others, making an impact, leaving that legacy? Out of everything that you heard in this episode, What do you think the one thing is that you can do such that by doing it would allow you to help others create moments that matter? We would love if you would share that with us by leaving a review. Note this episode when you leave the review and share that with us because when you you leave the reviews, it automatically comes back to us. So we we see them and we, we hear your thoughts. We look forward to reviewing them. 
And we sincerely hope that this is an episode that you will share with others because it's an important message. Zig Ziglar says you can have everything you want in life if you just help enough other people get what they want first. How can you go help someone else today? Thank you for listening and subscribing to The One Thing Podcast. We really appreciate you and we look forward to being with you in the next episode. 